0: is we were talking about uh, the law and the statement can be made <coughs> the statement can be made um, you know in regards to the lab that we're not under the law anymore right um, now we we're not under the covenant of law but we're under the covenant of what of grace. So we're not under the law. We're not under everything that we see that's established there in the Old Testament. That we're not under that anymore. That Christ, and, and we'll say something like this, because Christ has died to set us free um, from the law. But what does that really mean? I mean, when you're trying to explain that to somebody, h- how far does that really go when you're trying to explain to somebody that we don't live under the law anymore? Because one thing that, that I understand, and this goes back to another conversation that I've had uh, with somebody else this week, is that Andrew Murray writes a book, one of my favorite authors from about 130 years ago, called The Two Covenants. It's a book that if you haven't read it, you should probably go ahead and read it. Um, it's a little book like this, about that thick, um, but he uses big words, so it'll take you a little, long, a little bit longer to read it. Um, but he lines out the case that most people enter into that new covenant of grace through Jesus Christ, crucifixion, and resurrection but still live. And the reality is this. As we begin to walk in that new relationship with God, we still have that tendency and that old fleshly longing to live according to law, to rule, and to regulation. And that's why Paul has to tell, uh, he has, writes a, a letter to the uh, Galatians lining out the very fact that they're not under law anymore. Well, a man comes to Jesus. So, so what I wanted to talk about is... Um, when we talk about law, does it mean that the law is bad? That we don't, that we're not, uh, that we don't have to live according to it anymore? Uh, does it mean that it's not useful? And both of those answers are no. The, the law is good. You know why the law is good? Because who did it come from? It came from God, and we would say that it came from his what? Came from his heart, right? The essence of who he is. The law in, in and of itself is, is, is the expression of love, to the israelite people i mean it's god telling them how they can have a right relationship with him and he's and, and he's giving them directions for their society so that they don't self-implode god's trying to protect the purpose of the lawless uh, in uh, for h israel out there was to keep them from destroying themselves their social law the religious law aspect of it was to teach them what is required of man to have a right relationship with god What is the one, and the answer is found, the answer is found all throughout Scripture, but primarily in Hebrews. I'm trying to line you up here. What is the one thing that is required for man to be saved from their sin? Hebrews, it's spread all throughout the book of Hebrews. What? Blood, right, sacrifice. It's it's the sacrifice, it's the blood, and that's what all of that shows. But the question would be this. So do we still live according to, let's say, the Ten Commandments, the great Ten Commandments? Because somebody can say, yeah, you know, we're not, you know, we're not supposed to eat, you know, crustaceans, lobsters, you know, because that was some of the dietary laws and, and the pork and everything. And, and there's some people still today in church, uh, Christians, who, who won't eat certain things uh, like pork or uh, crab legs, not supposed to eat uh, stuff like that because, um, because it's in the Old Testament not to eat those things. Paul would say it like this, if that's where they're at, that's fine, <laughs> God can bring him around one day to the reality of what his word says. Paul would say, don't offend somebody. Don't go call them, you know, names or anything or or try to push them down or make them, you know, feel any certain way because you understand freedom. And Paul would say, you know what? If it offends the brother, don't do it kind of a deal. And that's how Paul says it. But when it comes to regards to the Ten Commandments, you know, the big ten. What's our responsibility? Maybe this is the best way to approach it. What's our responsibility to the Ten Commandments? Is it that we're to live in obedience to those, making sure that we don't step out of line? Did uh, Christ just kind of, when Christ came, and it says that he fulfilled the law, did he just kind of scrape it off of the foundation there and say, well, we don't have to worry about those anymore? Mark chapter 12, a man comes to Jesus. He's a teacher of the law, which means he knows the law. And he comes to him because he's heard that Jesus has been giving satisfactory answers to people, good answers when people are asking questions. And he says, he says, Rabbi, what's the greatest commandment? You guys remember this from a few weeks ago? What's the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, well, he says this. He says, uh, hero Israel, the Lord our God is one. You see the guy going, oh, yeah, yeah, I know where he's going here. It says this. Jesus says, "Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength." And Jesus says, "That's the first. That's the most important thing is love. Love God." He says. The second thing that he says is this. He says, and then the second one is like is uh, is, is is like is uh, is like this. He says, "Love your what neighbor as yourself." Boy, if we loved our neighbors as ourselves, how how well would they be doing right and so jesus says this to sum up all of the law that is given to mankind jesus sends sums it up with one word what is it love now understand this in the ten commandments the first four commandments are commandments between god and man the last six commandments are between man and his neighbor does that make sense So love God, first. so now we've transferred, Jesus says, love God, love people, the Ten Commandments, first four, love God, last six, love people. That's how the Ten Commandments are set up. Galatians chapter five tells us this. 5.22, did that ring a bell to anybody? For the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love. Now the original construction of that, the fruit of the Spirit is love, And then it manifests itself in uh, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. But the fruit of the spirit, when there is, when the spirit of God is inside of somebody, what begins, what now has overtaken them? What? Love. So it's not that somebody then sets out and says, well, now I'm going to try to live my life according to the Ten Commandments. Here's the question. If you're a child of God seeking, seeking God's direction in your life, Which one of the 10 commandments could you not keep if you weren't expressing spiritual love through your life? There's not one that you would fail in, is there? Because when you have love in you, you fulfill the commands, right? That's why scripture says Jesus didn't come to abolish the law, but he came to what? Fulfill it. How does he fulfill it? Through what? Through love. It's It's the only way that it's fulfilled. No greater love has any man than this than what? jesus would say you're truly my disciples if you obey my what my commands now jesus says you got it now you're truly a follower of me if you're following if you're following what i say and then jesus tells his disciples a new command i give you honor they father and mother is that what he said no Thou shalt not commit adultery no what did he say if you're he says a new command i give you to what love one another That's where we stand with the law today. It's not that we step back because here's the deal. Scripture tells us this. (coughs) Look over at Galatians. You guys are familiar with this, but I want you to see this. Galatians chapter 3. We've got about 20 more minutes in this, so just kind of dig in. Galatians chapter 3. In this, uh, the newer uh, NIV translations, um, a little bit uh, unique. Galatians chapter three, verse 24. And this should be something that is highlighted in your Bible. It says this. So the law was our, what do you guys have there? Guardian, schoolmaster, anything else? 324. The law was put in charge. Willie, what do you have there? Okay. Okay, schoolmaster. Uh, this translation here says our guardian. So the law was Paul is saying here to the Galatians. Remember, if you uh, uh, if you look back. Paul is writing to a group of people here who've accepted the grace of God but now they're trying to go back under uh, religious regulation like uh, circumcision, uh, dietary requirements and so forth. And Paul's saying, whoa, you really need to read the whole book here because Paul is saying you're, you're not we're not supposed to be living according to the law anymore. So the law was our guardian, our schoolmaster until Christ came, right? That we might be justified by faith now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a what? Under a guardian or a schoolmaster or the what? The law. The, gu- the purpose of the law was always to show man's need of Jesus. The purpose of the law was the school teacher that says, okay, students, what you need in life is a Messiah. That was the whole purpose of the law. But instead what the Jews did was the Jews took the law and they developed a system, ruled, they built rules and regulations, 318 rules around it. They built rules around it. Uh, they did all sorts of things uh, so that they themselves could feel like they were keeping, like they were adhering to the law. The whole purpose of the law is to show us that we're sinners. If somebody's going to step back and say, okay, well, let's take a portion of the law. Scripture says this, and we talked about this last week, for the person who pulls one thing out of there, we talk specifically about things like tattoos and, and maybe even dietary. You know, there's still a lot of people who won't eat pork and so forth, which is a shame. But n- I digress. Um, but if they're going to pull one thing out and say, well, you can't do that because it's in the law. You know, what scripture says you have to do everything that's in it then. Yeah. Does that not sound like a great life? <laughs> Going back and trying to live exactly like that. I mean, no, that's not what Christ has died for us for. So let's look over at, um, let's look at the book of Hebrews. Yeah, we're getting some. Oh, let's look at this first. Go ahead and find your place there in Hebrews. I want to look at Jer- uh, Jeremiah thirty-one thirty-one. If you get to the book of Psalms right in the middle of your Bible, uh, you're going to go uh, to your right. Uh, and you get to Jeremiah it's a pretty big book you see Isaiah and then Jeremiah and it's important to note here Jeremiah 3131 31. and this is what's different for us today but understand that God is writing this 600 years essentially before Jesus even comes God is well I should say God is giving this to Jeremiah to write down And it says this, let's look in verse 31. The the key here is at the end of uh, 33. But 31 says the days are coming. Jeremiah 31 and 31. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a what? New covenant. At this particular point, they're under the covenant of what? Law. God says I'm going to institute a what? New covenant. New Testament's going to tell us that when a new covenant is inserted, it nullifies the old covenant, right? So in case of a will and so forth, the new will is going to take precedence. When I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah, it will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and let them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them. He says because they couldn't keep up their end of the deal, um, uh, I'm going to make a new covenant. Now verse 33. This new covenant that I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. This is what God says. I will put my law right. God's law. It's his word, right? It's his what did we say? It's his heart. The law that we see, it's the heart of God and it's a heart of love. I will put my law into their what minds. Now, hang on a second up to this point right here, still to this point. The law is an external thing, right? Written on what? Ten commandments are written on tablets. It's an external thing. Mankind, it's all external works. It's not... Remember, Scripture's gonna... We're gonna see here that Scripture can't... Or that um, the law couldn't change the hearts of men. I will put my law in their minds, and I will what? What's it say? Write it on their hearts. Not like what he did writing on tablets of stone. Now he's going to write his heart where into our lives so the natural expression of somebody who has god living in them right jesus said it's not just the holy spirit that comes upon us to empower us but jesus says i and my father we will come and we will dwell where in you dwelling mean to be down and at home he says we're going to live in you we will make our home in you And so the natural expression of a believer who has God who lives inside of him, who's following the Holy Spirit, is there's just going to be a natural result of obedience to the heart and the desire of God, which ultimately fulfills what? His law. The law that we see written down here for the Israelites. But understand this. He says, I will be their God and they will be my people. Let's look over at Hebrews. One other thing that you and I should note. Although God lives in us, spirits leading us. Does that mean that we are now perfect? in following God's word. It's a transformational process, isn't it? It's over the course of time. Sometimes it's baby steps. Sometimes it's big steps. But God, we, we can understand this, that God is always working in us. He who has begun a good work will see to completion. His desire is to move us into the presence of what his heart is. Because when we know the heart of the Father, we then can discern the will of the Father, right? If we know what he's passionate about, we then know what he wants to act and how he wants to act. Hebrews, boy, hmm. We could spend a couple hours here. You guys keep getting me into Hebrews with Melchizedek and all these other things. Uh, Let's go to Romans first. Go to Romans. You can stay there in in Hebrews. We'll be there in Hebrews 8, 8... We've got, um, let's pick up here in Romans chapter 6. So somebody, as Paul is writing to the Roman people, some Yehu, as Paul is talking about grace and how they're not under law, some Yehu would then be hanging out there with his friends after the study saying, man, you know what? If when we sin... God's gracious continues to pour out onto our lives, right? Because Jesus paid for our past, present and future sins. So that means that if we sin, God's gracious flows more and more and more. So you know what? We should go on a sin fest and then there'll be like a tidal wave of God's grace come upon the people or upon us. And Paul's like, oh, bad logic. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? And somebody may say, well, you know what? If I don't have to follow the Ten Commandments, I'm going to go break them because I'm not under them anymore. And Paul would say, oh, that's wrong thinking because it's not the heart of the Father. Verse 2, he says, by no means. We, we are those who have died to sin. Meaning we're not to be, we're not to be bound. We're not, under, we're not under that law anymore. So he says, how could you say you want to go out and intentionally live a life of sin because it's going to make God look good? He says, it's just a foolish argument. But nonetheless, somebody would say, well, if you're telling me, Steve, that we're not under law or uh, that we're under grace, I can do whatever I want and God has to forgive me. And I would say, that's a really bad concept of God's grace and his love and his sacrifice for you. Look over at verse 14, 614 tells us this. And by the way, you guys really need to go through and reach all of chapter 6 and 7. It's just for sin shall no longer be your master because you're not under the law but under grace. Paul would essentially say this. Um, I don't know if we'll have time to get it today, but essentially he says this. Um he says, I didn't even know what sin was until I knew what the law was. And once I understood what the law was, sin sprang to life in me, and I wanted to break the law. When the sign says, don't walk on the grass, what? When the sign says 65 miles an hour, what? It's just that our natural inclination to want to go beyond that. Verse 15, 615. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? And once again, he says, by no means, don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one that you obey. So it's coming down to obedience. Now, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. And here's verse 17 is what I, what I have marked, but thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin under what? Under law. What the law shows us is that we're sinful. And we were slaves to our sin. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey. Here's the key. What? From your what? Heart. The pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. So what Paul is saying is this. You now operate off of what God is doing. Listen. You now operate off of what God is what he is transforming in your heart, not what you are setting out to do, trying to make sure that you're a good person and that you're doing everything right. Does that make sense? He's saying now that the obedience from your heart to to love God, the new command I give you to what to love, to love the fruit of the spirit is love. And he says, you now have moved from slaves to sin under law to now you've come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that is now claimed, that is now won, that has now freed you from that and has given you salvation. Chapter uh, 7, your bold print, will say something like this, released from the law, bound to Christ. Verse four, so my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ that you might belong to another. Verse six, but now by dying to once what bound us to the law, we have been released from the law so that we can serve in the new way of the spirit, not in the old way of the written code. Now, this is important. Paul is writing to the Roman people here, and what he's saying is this. Now that you have died, you know the whole picture of baptism, right? It's here you're standing, you go into the grave, which shows what? Death, death to self. Raising again to what? To a new life. A body that goes into the grave and then pops back up out of the grave has come come to what? Life. You guys tracking with me here? And he says this. You have been released from the law, the thing that puts you to death, So that we can serve in the new way of the Spirit, not in the old way of the written code. And what our tendency is is that, having beginning in the Spirit, Paul would say, "Having begun in the Spirit, O foolish Galatians, are you now going to try to finish the work of God in your life by being obedient to the law?" And he says, "Did the Spirit come in you because of your obedience to the law?" And the answer is no. The spirit comes into us, not because we're obedient to law, but because we have faith in the word of God. And Abraham believed God and righteousness and righteousness was credited to him. Uh, Chapter seven or uh, uh, still in chapter seven, verse seven. It says this. So here's still he's still dealing with the argument law and sin because the Romans are struggling with this here. They're they're trying to, you know, okay, do, do we do some of it? Do we have to be circumcised? Do we not eat pork? Do we do blah, you know, all this stuff? What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? And he says, certainly not. He says, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. Verse eight, but sin seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, meaning that when he knew the commandment, then he had a desire to sin. It produced in him every kind of coveting for apart from the law, A sin was dead. Verse 13. Did that which is good then become death to me? Saying, did the law become, is is it bad? He says, no means. Nevertheless, in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it used what is good to bring about my death so that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. And Paul is saying is this. The law made me realize my sinfulness and my need of a savior that my old self would be put down as I grab a hold of true life and of eternal life. And he said, so the law fulfilled its purpose in helping me realize that I need to be put to death of self so that I can come to the means of eternal life. Then in verse 15 there, verses that we all recognize, he says, I don't understand what I do. And he essentially says this, what I don't want to do, I do. And what I, what I, uh, what I uh, do, I don't want to do. He says, I set out to do things, things for the Lord, and, and, and I fail in it. And then I, I try to stay away from things that are sinful. And, and I end up failing in that and, and going in the wrong direction. So verse 21, he says this, so I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. Anybody have a here here for that? Okay. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, meaning God, the heart of God. I want I want to follow my Lord. I don't think there's anybody in this room that doesn't that wouldn't say that. Right. Everybody has a heart that that wants the goodness just pouring out through our lives for in my inner being. I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. And what that is, is he says, there's the law, there's the law. That keeps telling me I'm no good. And he's saying the battle for the Christian is understanding that you now have the desire to be obedient to God, but if you're keeping your eye on the law, the law is always going to tell you that you're insufficient. So you're like, I'm saved by the grace of God, but the law is telling me I'm a sinner. Was the law supposed to tell us we're a sinner? Absolutely so. But the whole purpose of it, and that's why Jesus has to come, he has not, uh, he has, uh, he has not abolished the law, but he, came to, he did what? He fulfilled it, meaning, and I don't know if we'll see the verse right here, every, listen guys, every requirement in the law, everything to uphold in the law for us to be righteous, Jesus fulfilled it, and then he puts his stamp on us like we fulfilled it. Does that make sense? Every requirement of the law. Jesus fulfilled it, right? We don't have any problems with that. But then we're like, what do you say, Steve? He stamped us with that righteousness? Yeah. And that's how your heavenly Father sees you. Because anywhere where you have, are, or will transgress the heart and the desire of God, you shall not eat of the fruit of this tree. And we're like, ooh, tree, good, mmm, kind of a deal. And where we fail, God still sees us as perfection. The problem is, we then, when we fail, we look at the law and we're like, oh, that law, there it is again. It's telling me the reality of who I am. And Paul is saying, because we have Christ, we don't look to the law anymore for our righteousness. Is it natural for a Christian with the Spirit of God and the presence of God to begin to walk in obedience as we're seeking the Father's will. To his word, to his law, absolutely so. Paul would say, verse 23, 723, I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind, making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man that I am. Who can save me or who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? And what Paul is saying is that this, we still suffer sin in our lives we're not perfect god never expected us to be perfect do you know why he sent a savior why because we can't be what perfect we couldn't be perfect beforehand we couldn't be perfect during our salvation and we can't be perfect the whole rest of this time that we have here in this world We can't be perfect. The only time we will experience perfection, the scripture says that when Jesus comes back, raptures the church, or we die and we're in the presence, that when we see him, we will be what? And what we're not going to have when we're in his presence is this flesh. You know what causes us to sin? It's It's desiring to gratify desires of the flesh. That's what it is. That's where our sin is coming from. Now, you should write in your Bible. I'll show you mine right here. You should write at the end of verse 25, of 725, put some arrows, I don't don't see everybody's pens out, put some arrows there, and write the words, keep going, and highlight the snot out of it, I said snot, highlight it, highlight it, highlight it, because it would be a shame to stop there, because look at what Paul, because Paul leaves off chapter 7, I mean, Imagine if a guy's reading that. Maybe he only has the scroll that goes up to that point. And he's like, oh, uh, you know, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't do, uh, you know, blah, 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 so forth. Oh, what a wretched man that I am. Who can save me from this body of death? Oh, the Jesus thing. Oh, oh, sin's got me. It's so horrible. I don't know what I'm going to do because I still sin. And it's just the law's coming down on me. And then Paul would say, oh, chapter eight, verse one. And what's the first word? And what, 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 what do you do? What's that mean? You have to find out what it's there for. So what Paul is saying, summarizing all that he has written before, going all the way back probably to the previous therefore, you just have to keep going back. Now he's saying this, this embodiment of my text here in light of everything that I've said about the issue of law and living under grace, he says there is now no what? Now the law condemns us, right? The law shows us we're sinful. It cannot save us. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, ready, the law of the Spirit who gives life has, what's the phrase? Set you free from the law of sin and death that's what the law did it showed us that we were sinful and that it was pointing us as a teacher as a schoolmaster you need a messiah you can't do it on your own you will fail you're not enough and for some reason we accept the grace of god and then we walk around like the law sitting there banging us over the head saying you're not enough you're not enough you're not enough i already know that. that's why jesus came maybe you just need to shout it out sorry i got a little excited there verse 3 For what the law was powerless to do, listen, the law is what? Powerless to change your heart. All it can do is tell you. The road sign on the highway, it can only tell you that you're breaking the law. It can't, it doesn't jump in the truck, jump down your throat, wiggle around inside till you take your foot off the accelerator. It has no power to change your habits or your desires. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did what what the law was powerless to do. Look between the commas. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. The law couldn't change you, but God can change you by a sacrifice. So he condemned your sin in your flesh. He can. I'm sorry. He condemned sin in the flesh, meaning the body of Jesus. Jesus takes on the sin of mankind and takes on the punishment and the wrath. Every single, all the billions and trillions of acts against God, transgressions against his heart, against his word, Jesus took every single one of those upon himself and paid the penalty. In order. Let me back up here. Verse 3 at the end. And so he condemns sin in the flesh. Catch this now, verse four, in order that the righteous requirements, see, I wasn't kidding, that the righteous requirements of the law might be, what? What's it say? Fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but what? According to the spirit. Somebody says, well, I, I, I still have to be obedient to God's word. Well, there's two ways of looking at it. Either that's already happening, that transformational work's happening in your life because God in the Spirit's, you know, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit's dwelling in you. But what we should understand is this. I'm not under law because you know what? Where it says, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet what you're... You, you know the problem for Americans today in the church? It's coveting what their neighbors have. Isn't it? I mean, there's a whole there's a whole bunch of other ones there in the Big Ten. But isn't that a biggie? Strive for success to have what my neighbors have. I want it, I want it, I want it. Tell me, tell me, which one, which one of God's laws do you think that that you can be obedient to? And I will tell you, that you'll fail in every single one of those in your flesh, right? But here's the kicker. What Paul's telling us here is every requirement of the law that we are now seeing in God's eyes as we have fulfilled it. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that weird? So when somebody starts saying, well, I can't eat this or I can't do that, I mean, don't be too harsh on them, but man, you should you should be like, man, I'm so thankful that I rest in the fact that God sees me as having fulfilled it. So go ahead and eat all the crab legs you want. It's okay. (laughs) Have some bacon. Enjoy life. Everything with bacon in it is better. Even donuts. I mean, it just, just goes on and on. But guys, here's the point. The summary of all of this is that it's about love, right? If the love of God is pouring out through your life, you will have a, there's just a natural desire. You don't have to sit down and go through the Ten Commandments every day or any other portion of God's law and say, "Now now I have to follow this to the law. You should understand that the Spirit is now doing that work. Now, this is what's important. Some people may try to say this. Well, because I have now, because I am now seen as having met fully the righteous requirements of the law, um... forget how I was going to say that. Look at this last part here, verse four, that the righteous requirement the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but who live according to the Spirit. I would encourage you guys to go through chapter six and chapter seven into chapter eight there, going through and reading that over and over and over and over and over and over again.